Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast. I am Ben McKee, joined as always by Eric Kane, coming off a big weekend in Oxford, Tennessee. Previously ranked number five, Tennessee takes down previously ranked number one, Ole Miss, 12 to one on Friday, 10 to three on Saturday, and four to three on Sunday. Tennessee sweeps Ole Miss in Oxford in front of three sellout crowds. Tennessee now the unanimous number one team in the country as Eric and I sit down and record this on Tuesday morning. Eric, what a weekend it was in Oxford, Mississippi. Yeah, f- fantastic weekend for Tennessee. Um, you know, we, we we can talk about how good Tennessee is, um, you know, from, from a local perspective. You know, we've heard the national chatter here of late, uh, but there's no doubt about it. After this weekend, um, if not the best team in the country right now, arguably one of the best teams. And uh I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. What Tennessee did this weekend on the road, hostile environments against a, a really, really good ball club. Um, nothing short of impressive. So uh, hats off to Tony Vitello now in, uh, in year four and a half is what I've been calling it. Um, this program is for real. And I think it's just going to show everybody that Omaha last year, it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a fluke at all. Tennessee will be continuing to get right back there this year. For sure. And we'll, we'll dive in game by game here in a minute, but I want to get your general thought looking back on the weekend and and kind of thinking back to our comments on the preview pod. Both of us picked Ole Miss or uh, Tennessee to beat Ole Miss in two of of three. We, We did not think that Tennessee was going to sweep, and I picked Tennessee and if I remember correctly, you you pretty much agreed with the sentiment as to why, but it was because we felt like Tennessee had more pitching to handle Ole Miss's lineup than Ole Miss's pitching, than, than Ole Miss had pitching to, to handle Tennessee's lineup. That, that was kind of the difference for us and, and why we picked Tennessee. But I did not expect Tennessee to go in there and just flat-out dominate Ole Miss right off the bat and sweep, sweep the Rebels. I did not see that coming at all. No, neither did I. And you know we shouldn't have, right? And, I mean, that's no discredit to Tennessee going into the series, but – we knew about the pitching struggles for Ole Miss so far this season, which was a little uh, surprising. But I mean, that lineup's for real. We went through and talked about those guys that are, you know, showing out in that lineup and where the averages are and the flexibility they have as well. And all Tennessee did was just get superb. I mean, just excellent efforts from from their starters. I mean, what Chase Burns did on Friday night was awesome. Chase Dolander, in my opinion, had his best outing of the season. On Saturday, and Drew Beam continues his hot streak um, on Sunday. And so, um, I mean, I, you like Tennessee's chances with those three because they've been pitching so well this year, getting off to starts. But I just didn't think it would come to be completely honest, just that easy, right? I mean, I know Beam got tagged for a late run there, um, there on Sunday, but gosh, it was uh, it was impressive. And they, and they credit the bullpen for coming in, especially on Sunday, and you know, for saving the day. You know, we'll get to it, of course, Redmond Walsh, but. I just I, I didn't think that um, and I'm not trying to make this sound, you know, more than what it is. I just didn't think it'd be that easy, to be completely honest with you. But credit Tennessee and credit those starters for uh, coming in there and, and pretty much handing Tennessee those wins. Because, I mean, I know Tennessee exploded for 12 runs and 10 runs in games one and two and then, you know, had four. and That was just enough in game three. But Tennessee won this series because of, of its pitching. There's no doubt about it. Right. And, and the bats did their job, just like you said. Mm hmm. Uh, and and them scoring runs off that old Miss pitching staff 
it was not surprising at all. Just we talked about it on paper. Ole Miss was not very impressive from a pitching standpoint. And again, that's what we thought the difference was going to be in the series. And it was, but Tennessee's pitching staff, I thought that they would perform well. Uh, I, I, I really thought Chase Burns would perform well. I kind of had a question mark next to Chase Dolander and Drew Beam just because this was going to be the best lineup that they had faced all year round. And and Chase Dolander, he's been good so far this year, but th- there was definitely room to be more efficient, and you certainly saw that on Saturday. And, and Drew Beam, may, maybe I just need to readjust my thinking. It, it just feels like, okay, when, when's, when's the other shoe going to drop? <laughs> like he, he's a true freshman. Surely he cannot continue to pitch this well for a true freshman coming off of two years without pitching because of missing his junior year because of COVID and then missing his senior year because of Tommy John. Like, surely at some point he's going to come back down to earth, but neither of them came back down to earth. And, in fact, all they did was get better. So uh, I was surprised that the pitching staff dominated Ole Miss's lineup as as much as it did because that lineup is legit and that lineup is is going to put up runs this year. I mean they they were top fifteen nationally in home runs and on base per- percentage, slugging percentage, runs entering the weekend. And what Tennessee starting pitchers combined to do throughout the weekend, they they combined to give up just two runs. Only one walk amongst the three, and they had 27 strikeouts <laughs> against that offense is ridiculous. And it, and it's not like Beam pitched four innings and Burns pitched six and, and Dolander pitched five. They, they limited Ole Miss to two earned runs, one walk, and struck them out 27 times in quick math on my head, off my head, 21 innings. 20, 20.2 innings. So uh, each, each starter went deep and they were still really effective. And I think we learned this weekend that Ole Miss is a little bit overrated. I, I don't think that they are going to win anything of significance this season because of its pitching. Mm-hmm. But also, I think we also learned that with Tennessee's pitching, Tennessee's got the best rotation in the country. And oh, by the way, it doesn't include Blake Tidwell. Yeah. <laughs> It will, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it was the Iona series. Maybe it was um, after that Sunday game or maybe even Saturday. I can't remember. No, it had to be Sunday because Beam would, would have just pitched. But um, Tony Vitello said, hey, you know, Drew Beam, he, he's in that conversation with Chase Burns. I mean, you know, we're going to be talking about Beam being up there with Dolanders, a newcomer, Burns as a true freshman, because all the conversation at that point had been on Chase Burns and, and Dolander because Dolander was striking out guys left and right there in the early going. And it's funny to look back now and hear those comments. And he's like, okay, well, obviously Tony Vitello knows exactly what he's talking about. He's the one that brought him here. He had no worries about him not pitching two years coming off a major arm surgery. You know, one of the seasons getting shut down for COVID. Um, He's been incredible. It's been so much fun to watch, but I would agree with you. I think, uh, I think Ole Miss would be a little bit overrated because, uh, you know, I use this analogy all the time and maybe it's too simplistic, but you know me, I'm a big Braves fans. I mean, you know, big Braves fan and, Atlanta rattled off 14 straight divisional titles, uh, you know, in the 90s into the early 2000s. Why? Well, because you had arms. If you have arms, you can win any series. If you have arms, you can 
you can go the length of uh, a long playoff run. And, and Tennessee's got that. And not even to mention, like you said, Blake Tidwell, who is nearing a return, uh, very, very close to a return and, and figuring out exactly how and when and, and you know what, what type of factor he's going to play into this whole thing. It's only going to get better. So Ole Miss, because of its pitching, I think is is very much overrated at this point. I mean, Tennessee put it in, put him in its place for sure. Um, that lineup, it's a shame too because that lineup is good. And, and Ole Miss can bounce back. Ole Miss will get better. I still think the the team is solid for sure. But um, to be in contention to be a number one team in the country, you know, in the D one baseball poll, the one that we follow, I think that might have been a little bit overrated. And again, credit Tennessee. It is yeah, say what you want about the uh, the early non conference schedule with the Rhode Islands and the Ionas and all that, but. Tennessee, uh, Tennessee's for real and uh, absolutely proved it this weekend and, and needs to continue to prove it because obviously the schedule is just going to continue to get tougher from here. Another tough uh, road series this weekend, um, just a couple hours west. I don't even think Ole Miss is going to make it to Omaha. I mean, forget being ranked number one in the country. I mean, I, I don't – I mean, technically they're an Omaha contender because of that lineup, but I'm not going to really take them all that that seriously. They had everything in their favor this weekend. They, they were the higher-ranked team. They were at home, three sellouts. Now, Sunday was a sellout, but the, by the time the weekend played out the way that it did, there were a lot of empty seats in, in that stadium. So it, it was technically a sellout, but you, you wouldn't know that if you did know that by looking at the, the stands because there were a, a lot of empty seats. And for Tennessee to just go into that environment, Ole Miss fans were rowdy pregame on Friday and Saturday and by the fifth inning they were all leaving on Friday and Saturday and even prior to them leaving the game early it it was dead in there I mean Friday night Tennessee strikes out one two three to start the game Ole Miss strikes out Tennessee that is and they were all fired up and then Chase Burns comes back and strikes out the side just like Ole Miss just did and then after he strikes out the side Tennessee jumps on Ole Miss to make it 6 nothing, and the energy in the stadium was com- completely zapped from that point on, just completely zapped. So, uh, And the same thing happened during Saturday's game where uh, Ole Miss fans flushing the Friday night game and thinking, okay, today's a new day. Ole Miss going to bounce back and get this W. It's an it's a 8 p.m. Eastern game on the SEC Network, sold out. Tennessee – they're not winning two in a row here at Swayze Field. And Tennessee scores two runs in the first inning, a run in the second inning, and never looks back. So for Tennessee to go in and not only just play baseball well, Eric, but to slap Ole Miss around the way Will Smith did Chris Rock and do it in that environment was just so impressive. Had to get it in there, didn't you? Yes, <laughs> uh no for sure plus i mean and plus you had the i mean the momentum and the in the home field advantage and all that plus you had lane kiffin's theatrics there with the golf yes. ball everybody knew that was going to happen and but i mean it just kind of played into what you're saying in terms of you know old miss had everything going for it and i loved love love the way this series started correct me if i'm wrong 10 pitch at bat for dickey uh, leading off this series on friday night 10 pitch at bat he struck out but that's okay he gave everybody in that dugout Everybody, he gave, you know, Ortega, you know, hitting in the on-deck circle, just waiting his turn to see everything, everything that Gaddis had in his arsenal. And that is what a leadoff hitter does. So even though we struck out and, you know, fall, I was actually listening at that point to John 
Um, I, I couldn't, uh, I loved, loved the way Tennessee started that series. And then it was just, it was a route from there. Obviously, you know, the bats came alive, but I, I just can't, I can't say enough good things about the Tennessee baseball team. And, you know, it's not over. You're not winning a, a world series um, here in the, you know, the latter part of March. So Tennessee's got a long way to go, but I, I just think that the statements, um, environments, team, Tennessee's starting to get a lot of national praise and all that. But I mean, now, I mean, this weekend you backed it up and you want to really put an exclamation point on it and say, Hey, the balls are here and they're staying. Go do that again here, uh, you know, at Vanderbilt this coming up weekend. So um, a lot of good vibes. I know, I mean, I, I bet you had a blast, dude. I, I wish I could have been there seeing that entire stadium come to a hush. Um, I bet you had a blast, but not nah, a great, great weekend for Tennessee overall. Yeah, it, it was really fun. <laughs> it, it's it's weird. Like, obviously, Tennessee blowing out Ole Miss was was top notch, but uh, I, I was kind of disappointed. I, I didn't get the full... Ole Miss baseball experience because Tennessee just again treated them like they were Chris Rock on Friday and Saturday. <laughs> I mean, they just absolutely destroyed them and and just killed the the energy in the stadium. But uh, Tennessee just a <laughs> terrific per- performance from the I jump saw, and never looked back. I saw. Uh, let's see, I the very end. I guess it was Saturday's game. Yeah, I think it was Wyatt Evans on the on the bump. Uh, coming in to pitch that last inning yes. and <laughs> Ole Miss tagged him for a home run there. There were three guys out there in right center field. One of the guys threw the beer up and it's like, Oh, that doesn't look all that fun when it's just three of you. <laughs> but no. I just, and the no. broadcast made mention of it. I was watching on the SEC network, of course. And uh, <laughs> that was, that was just kind of putting things in perspective of how this weekend has gone all, all the way to that point. So um, it was fun. It was fun for sure. Yeah. Not, not the greatest beer shower that Ole Miss is known for. As we talked about on the preview pod, Ole Miss likes to throw up their alcoholic beverages out there in the student section behind right field. And by the time they were able to do so, there were very few people left. But uh, to go a little in-depth game by game, I thought you made a great point uh, about Jared Dickey leading off the game. Nine pitches, if if I counted them properly here on, on the stats. And then Ortega, right after Dickey, he has a six-pitch at bats. Works it full, uh, and although he struck out, him and Dickey struck out, like they gave a good look to the rest of the offense, and Tony Vitello told me that after the game. That was one thing that he really mentioned, and it really set things up for the second inning. I mentioned Chase Burns strikes out the side in the first inning, and then Tennessee comes back and scores six in the second because Drew Gilbert, Trey Lipscomb, they lead off the inning with a walk, and then Evan Russell hits an RBI single through the left side, and then after Russell's single, Christian Moore walks to load the bases and Cortland Lawson after Luke strikes out, steps up to the plate and just absolutely crushes a ball to center field. And the, the center fielder, the Ole Miss center fielder, Justin bench, he, he runs into the wall. I uh, can't track it down. Lawson's able to get the third clears the bases. And all of a sudden it's four to nothing. And you're starting to feel really good from Tennessee's perspective. And then Jared Dickey, who had been 0 for 9 in his last five games, steps to the plate and hits a homer, crushes a homer, a two-run homer, over the Ole Miss bullpen. And it's 6-0 right out of the gates. And then because of Chase Burns on the mound, Eric, it was just blouses from that point on. Burns goes on uh, to strike out 10 over seven innings, didn't allow a base runner until the fifth inning and didn't allow a run until the seventh inning. And that run 
it was a meaningless run that he gave up. I mean, he was he was worn down. He he threw a career, not a career high. It is technically a career high, but a season high because he's a true freshman. 106 pitches. It was against Tim Elko. Elko gets him for a, a solo homer. Uh, but I, I don't really care about that run given up. It, it was a one of his last pitches. He was worn down and didn't have the same command. But after that big second inning, it was all Chase Burns from there. And Chase Burns just continues to amaze me. Uh, it, it's it's silly to think, A, that he's actually in college. He should be a professional. Yeah. And B, if he looks like this this year, six, seven starts into his career, what in the world is he going to look like when he's a junior? Yeah, it's unfair. It's, it should not be allowed for him to pitch three years of college ball. And I, I don't know about you, but when I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this game and I, I'm tuning in and watching, and this might sound silly because you're going to say, well, of course they had a 6-0 lead and you had Chase Burns on the mound, right? But I knew Tennessee won that game right there. I mean, I understand the lineup for what, what Ole Miss is. You can never count them out. But the way having Chase Burns on the mound and Tennessee goes up four runs and gets six runs there in the second, all to get, all told. You knew it was a wash from there. You knew Tennessee had game one for sure. Um, and, and so, obviously, that second inning was huge. But, I mean, Chase Burns, he continues to amaze me because, again, you're right. He should not be playing college ball. It is unfair. It is unfair to the rest of the Southeastern Conference and college baseball hitters that Chase Burns is playing college baseball. I mean, he should he should be starting his professional career. Um, but just the, the moments just do not phase him. Houston, we talked about going up against Texas and and what he did against the Longhorns and just didn't back down in Minmay Park. Coming in here in that environment to start off this type of series, strikes out the side there to get started and putting forth just a, a fantastic outing. And I, I like the the fact that he's getting up there in pitch count. He's, he's getting used to throwing that many pitches. Uh, you mentioned 106 pitches. I believe 72, so yeah, 72 of them were for strikes. I know we'll get to game two here in a moment, but I love this from Dolander. 100 pitches, I believe 82 of them were strikes. 80. Um, 80, 80 of them were strikes. I mean, that's that's the ratio. I mean, that that is a winning ratio, especially for guys that you're going to need to, you know, go go the distance, eat up some innings and everything, you know, as the season go, goes on. So uh, that was awesome. And, you know, early on, it was no doubt about it. Tennessee was getting that dub because of the way Chase Burns was pitching. And Tennessee's offense had already done the bulk of the work. And, of course, they'd have on a few more runs later. But uh, a really, really good start after that second inning and then seeing him go back out the work there in the third and the fourth. And Jared Dickey hit a second home run later in the game. He went Apo Taco. Uh, this is after Trey Lipscomb golfed a three-run home run. Apo Taco into the Ole Miss bullpen. Uh, Dickey comes back and hits a solo shot into the Tennessee bullpen the opposite way because Dickey is a lefty. And then even Blake Burke, he gets in on the fun. He pinch hits and hits an opposite field home run. That was an absolute bomb to left center. Luke Lipsius hit a solo homer that he absolutely crushed. It, it was a home run derby for Tennessee on, on Friday. Uh, five home runs for Tennessee to go along with – Chase Burns' performance. It was real good to see Jared Dickey break out of his slump. Again, I'd mentioned yeah. it 0 for 9 in his previous five games, and then he goes 2 for 4 with two home runs, three RBIs, and two runs scored. And, and that was the story. Power bats and power arms. And, you know, leading into some other storylines into the weekend, there's a lot of talk about how Tennessee puts up a lot of runs 
because of the stadium that it plays in. Yeah, a little, uh, little league ballpark. Yeah. That's right. You had Mike Rooney, uh, who I I love his commentary. I, I really do, but still going to pick on him. Uh, does a podcast with D1 Baseball. I believe he's a former college baseball assistant coach, and, and I truly, genuinely, I uh, really like his commentary. But he he said that Tennessee would not have the benefit of playing in Williamsport this weekend. Uh, Williamsport being the Little League World Series, and then Tennessee proceeds to hit five home runs. And like his his thought process isn't wrong. Like Tennessee does benefit from playing in Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Yeah, they, until they, you they, prove they it, do. can it travel? Until you prove it, right. and of course Tennessee proved it there on Friday night. Correct, and, and that's something you and I have talked about. Like their power, it 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 travels. It, mm. it, we have seen it elsewhere we saw it in houston and power doesn't mean home runs power is driving the ball to the gaps left center right center power is driving it down the left field line the right field line and this team yes this team consistently does that but but here's the thing is like yeah tennessee has the advantage of hitting in this little league ballpark but why is this such a talking point when other teams have the same advantage when they are playing inside of Lindsey Nelson Stadium and they are not taking advantage of the stadium. Yeah. So <laughs> you had that kind of that that's that's what puzzles me about that comment is that like like you just said Eric, we know that Tennessee's power travels, but B teams have the same possibility of, of hitting homers the way that Tennessee does inside of its ballpark. Yep, it certainly does, and uh, that, and I, I just think it was such a major talking point simply because, again, the stage is the stage is where it's at. You know, it's it's one against one. It's it's Old Miss against Tennessee. It's the hottest matchup in college baseball that weekend. So obviously, it was talked about from a national perspective by not just the D one baseball guys, but from all around the country. So I think that's why it was a major sticking point. Kind of when you're breaking down how's the series going to go, and then obviously it's it's uh well. Tennessee's got, you know, one of the best lineups in the country. They got a lot of power, but they play, you know, their home ballpark is, you know, kind of smaller. So I get it. And, um, you know, and and again, it's fair. In my opinion, it's fair. Now, Tennessee did do pretty well in in the power category, Houston. So there is that. But until you prove it consistently, right, um, you can kind of have that sticking point. Well, Tennessee had no issue proving that on Friday night or Saturday again. So um, it was a really good start for Tennessee. And I know the the highlight of, of what I want to talk about today is coming up right now because uh, unless you have anything else in, in game one, I want to get to the comments no, we, made after, yes, after game that, one. Yes, that, that was where I was going to next. Dylan DeLucia, a, a junior college signee for Ole Miss, a, a pitcher for Ole Miss who did pitch on Friday night. And, you know, he, he pitched well, um, but he, he didn't shut Tennessee out. <laughs> Per se, he did much better than Gaddis, the the starter. Uh, Still allowed five runs. Yes, exactly. Six point two innings, six strikeouts, but two walks, four hits, five earned runs. Uh, so not sure why he would make these comments. And, and those comments were that we took them lightly. It won't happen again. We will win tomorrow. I'll tell you that. It's one of those things where they play in a small field. We have a bigger field. So we thought we could throw it into them. It didn't work out. We missed some spots, and that's why they ended up hitting the homers. Tomorrow will be a lot better. And Eric, I mean, tomorrow that, being Saturday quick, was not uh, was not a lot better. 
No, it was. I mean, real quick. So even with this argument, they play in a tiny ballpark, whatever. It's not like it's 50 foot closer on the right field line. Like, I mean, we're, we're talking, we're talking 10, 15 feet max in a lot of these parks. And so it's just ridiculous. And I, I talked about this on my lockdown balls podcast. And you and I talked about this um, on, on the, on the radio show Saturday morning. Um, you know, young guy made a mistake. Uh, probably shouldn't have said that. Obviously he knows that now you're putting the pressure on your team. Listen, but you're done. You're not pitching the rest of the series. Why would you say that you're putting all the pressure on your team right now when you can't do anything about it? And then also why poke the bear? You just got tagged for five runs yourself. You just saw Tennessee score six, uh, six runs in, in one inning, you know, the night before, before you came into the ball game. Um, why poke the bear? Um, frustrated obviously I get it and, and Ole Miss is a, a good team so there's some confidence there but boy this was the I mean after what happened on Friday night this being media after the game on Friday a guy that got tagged for five runs coming in in relief this was about the stupidest thing might have been might be dumbest quarter of the year worthy because this was so idiotic this is why and I can't speak for all young guys there's a lot of mature freshmen we see that on Tennessee football team we talk to them all the time basketball, you know, baseball, pick your sport. This is why freshmen should, uh, you can only, you should only allow freshmen to talk. He's not a true freshman. I get that, but you should only allow freshmen to talk when you know, they're going to not going to say stupid stuff like this because boy, that was so stupid. <laughs> I mean, so stupid. So hopefully it'll be a learning experience for them, but good on Tennessee for absolutely making him pay and making Ole Miss pay again on Saturday, because as you pointed out, Ben, it was uh, another home run derby. Uh, Tennessee just, Continue to bring the bats. The power traveled from Friday to Saturday, and yeah, well, it was another great pitching outing. But it was another easy win for the Volunteers, ten to three. Yeah, uh, just I, I still can't believe that he said this. It's like, dude, you you have done nothing, yeah, at Ole Miss to 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 warrant these comments, and you did not pitch well in the game. Yeah, and, and, and you're not pitching tomorrow. Too, yeah, like like I I. I say stupid stuff all the time. You and I, but we talk, we talk behind a microphone for three hours every single day. Yeah. I say a lot of dumb stuff. Uh, I've said stupid stuff and I'm like, Oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. You know, again, it, it is what it is. We're human. Right. But why again, why poke the bear? That was just, that was so idiotic. Yeah. Did not work. 10 to two was the final score 10 to three i should say was the final score on saturday after he made those comments that tomorrow will be a lot better and to that point tennessee had outscored ole miss 22 to four <laughs> through the the two games after he made those comments and i can assure you uh that tennessee was well aware of the comments it was in in their group chat the night before and drew gilbert being the maniac that he is is or was the ringleader in terms of making sure that his teammates were well aware and chase dolander told me on the record after the game that uh the the group chat was buzzing after those comments were made and and drew gilbert was the one uh, leading the buzz within that group chat and and credit to Drew Gilbert, he was fired up for that game. He he is a maniac and a psychopath on the field, no matter who the opponent is. But even he, which I don't know how this is possible, but even he had an extra gear on Saturday in game two. And like he backed it up, like the energy that he had and him leading the charge of making sure his teammates knew what the Ole Miss pitcher said. He backed it up immediately. Uh, Tennessee scores two runs in the first inning. Because of Drew Gilbert, uh, Drew Gilbert comes in uh, in 
the, the first inning. He, he's finally up the bat. Uh, Seth Stevenson was hit by a pitch. He stole second, advanced to third on a throwing error, and Drew Gilbert hits a double as soon as he steps up. His first at bat with this extra energy because of the Ole Miss players' comments, he steps into the box and he smashes a double. Tennessee's up one to nothing, and then he scores on a Trey Lipscomb single. But that wasn't the only runs that he drove in for the game. He was three for five on the night. Uh, he had two RBIs, two doubles, and three runs scored. And and he also backed it up on Sunday, getting a little ahead of ourselves here. But uh, he, he got the scoring going in the fourth inning on Sunday when he hit a two-run triple, and then Trey Lipscomb uh, hit into an RBI ground out to score Gilbert from third. He was terrific all weekend long. Drew Gilbert was uh, hit 455, was five for 11 with two doubles, four RBIs, six runs scored. Drew Gilbert was terrific, and he led the charge in making sure that those comments by the Ole Miss pitcher, he he made them pay for it. Yep, and that's uh, that's what a veteran leader does, right? And, you know, it's it's not like Gilbert's and Beck and Russell have been playing bad because they haven't been playing bad, but it's just it, it's it's awesome to see you know, the, the production, a lot of it from this lineup, it's been you know, Stevenson here of late. It's been Dickey. It's been more Burke has come on. Um, you know, you're getting contributions from so many other guys outside of your core veterans. Um, and, and they've been fine. I'm not saying they haven't, they haven't been playing well because they have, but uh, top to bottom, it's been such a great job for Tennessee in that lineup. But when you, when you get challenged like that, and it's not, it's not coming off a loss. It's not like you got embarrassed. You just put the whooping on them. You get challenged again with comments like that. I mean, it tests your manhood a little bit. It does. Having your veteran leader come out there and say, okay, well, let's let's go ahead and get this party started again for the second night in a row. That is what you want to see. And then also in game two, you know, Tennessee, you know, goes to the driving range Friday nights. You know, I love all those jokes and everything, especially, you know, considering Lane Kiffin with the golf ball. Uh, but and you made a great note about it in your postgame write-up. I mean, you didn't you didn't need the home run Saturday, but you still you know, you still displayed the power, right? 10 runs on 17 hits and a win. Uh, that's, you know, that's, that's awesome. Uh, Tennessee hit very, very well with two outs. Tennessee hit really, really well with runners on. I mean, that, that's what winning teams do. It's not always about the home run, about the long ball. It's driving in those runners. When you get them on base to less than two outs, coming in the clutch when they do have two outs, that to me was all what Saturday was about offensively. And of course, you know, on the mound, it was Chase Dolander throwing his best, <laughs> his best gym of the, of the season. Yeah, and, and we'll touch on Dolander here in a second, but just still want to emphasize the versatility of the Tennessee offense because uh, the the Ole Miss players' comments about Tennessee playing in a small field, I mean, th there's this belief that Tennessee only scores runs because they hit home runs in a small stadium. And after all that talk – going into the series about national media or from national media members. And then you have Ole Miss players piling on after they go hit five home runs. And I guess some minor league baseball park, uh, you, you noted earlier, it's like a 10 to 15 foot difference. Still didn't matter for the Vols hit five home runs and, and Blake Burke crushes one. Jared Dickey crushes one. Luke Lipsius crushes one. Uh, and, and Trey Lipscomb, his, his barely got over the wall. Dickey's, barely got over the wall, but it was still in a different ballpark. So what does that say? Uh, so there's still a lot of that conversation going into Saturday, and then they show up and they only don't hit a home run. <laughs> I mean, they, they didn't hit a home run, 
and they still scored 10 runs and had 17 hits like you brought up. They hit over 400 with two outs, with runners on base, with runners in scoring position. They let off the inning with a hit in five of nine innings. The leadoff man Love got on that. base five times. My that is, stat. Yes, absolutely. And, and then hit 464 in advancement opportunities against lefties. They were th- they hit 353. Uh, so they did not need the homer. And they also didn't hit a homer on Sunday, by the way. And, and the offense was, was good enough once again. Now, granted, they only scored four runs. But they still tallied up the hits on Sunday. They still had 10 hits. Just, just really couldn't bring – uh, them into score. Uh, so I, I just don't get this narrative about Tennessee when if if you've watched Tennessee this season or even last year, you know that they're just not benefiting from playing in Lindsey Nelson Stadium. And I, I think that that stigma is going to start to go away with their performance in, in Ole Miss and then what I think they're going to be able to do at Vanderbilt this weekend. Uh, you mentioned Chase Dolander. He was amazing. That that Chase Dolander Saturday was the Chase Dolander that Tennessee thought they were getting when he committed back before they went to Omaha. And look, he's been good this year. Don't don't get me wrong, but like I said earlier, there's been room to be more efficient, and you certainly saw that against Ole Miss. His ERA dropped from three point three eight to two point six seven. Uh, he improved to four and zero on the season, and that's because he struck out ten. He gave up just one walk. He only allowed three hits and didn't allow a run on 100 pitches, 80 of which were strikes. He was just tremendous. And either way you want to slice it, I meant to make this note earlier when we were talking about the pitching staff. Either, either way you want to slice it, you you can say Tennessee has the best one-two combination in the country. Find me a better one-two punch on Friday, Saturday than Chase Burns, Chase Dolander. But you can even take it further than that and say Tennessee has the best starting rotation in the country right now with Chase Burns, Chase Dolander, Drew Beam. And still, oh, by the way, Blade Tidwell, the best returning pitcher in the SEC this season, hasn't pitched yet, which really sets up for for postseason play. I know everybody's talking about, okay, who who does Blade replace and, and this and that, and that's a fair conversation obviously, but how about when we get to the SEC tournament and you have to have a fourth starter and you get to the regional and the super regional and Omaha where you really need a fourth starter and you can trot out Chase Burns, Chase Dolander, Drew Beam, and Blade Tidwell. And you still have, and this brings me to the last point I'll make about the pitching staff, they have the best pitching staff in the country. I know people are a little shaky on Camden Sewell. Camden Sewell is going to be fine. He he has a, a, a filthy slider that hitters cannot hit, and he will be fine. But you'll have Camden Sewell. You'll have Seth Halverson, who the coaching staff really, really loves as another power arm they're about to add. You have Kirby Connell, who they trust. You have Redmond Walsh, who was absolute stones on Sunday. You have Mark McLaughlin, who is starting to earn more trust. You have Will Mabry, who has turned into a big-time pitcher out of the bullpen and, and there's still some arms that, that you may be able to count on down the road that, that you don't, that you're not sure of at the moment, a guy like Xander Seacrest, who knows what he's going to be able to do down the road. So either way you want to slice it Friday, Saturday, we, we talked about it, but just continues to, to be a huge example of just how great of a pitching staff Tennessee has. And that's what gives me the, the most confidence 
that this team being number one after sweeping Ole Miss isn't peaking early. Yeah, and it's just amazing to me, too. I mean, of course, we know Chase Burns. He, he should be playing professional baseball right now, right? But Dolander, sophomore. Beam, true freshman. Tidwell, sophomore. This is this is really impressive, and I would agree with you. I mean, Tennessee, what, what you're doing there with two, two true freshmen back, you know, a book ending your weekend starts. Um, it's, it's awesome, man. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, once you, you know, you're going to need a fourth starter, whichever way you want to spin it, right? I mean, who, whatever order you want, you're going to need a fourth starter when you come in uh, to the to the playoff time, the postseason. So Tennessee's in a really, really good spot here. I mean, Dolander, no or one walk, one walk on 100 pitches I thought was huge. He is going to rack up the pitch count. That That's the type of pitcher he is. He is a strikeout pitcher. He is going to, you know, be nearing 80 pitches or so through five. That's just, that's his game. He was more efficient on Saturday. 100 pitches, we mentioned 80 strikes. Uh, 10 strikeouts, one walk, no runs, only three hits. I thought he was uh, just incredible. And, and that was good, too, because he'll he'll throw out of the zone a little bit because, again, strikeout pitcher, he'll get guys to go chasing sometimes. Sometimes they hold up. And um, if, you know, heading into the weekend, I've had this conversation with a lot of my friends, too. I know. I have friends. It's funny. Um, I believe you. You're probably talking to yourself. To, to my dog. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the weak link, if you if you had one, was Chase Dolander. And that's crazy to say because he was leading the SEC in strikeouts. But if there was a, you know, quotation marks, weak link in the Tennessee starting rotation, it was Dolander because you're not messing with Beam right now. And this is even going into the series. You're not messing with Beam. You're not messing with Burns, right? Um, because Dolander, he slows delivery to the plate. He, he struggles with men are on base and all that. And that's all, all fair, right? I think this start on Saturday on the road in that environment with that lineup is going to do wonders for him for sure. So, um, I thought that was incredible. And then something for, and, and you know, we can talk about this later on, or we can talk about this later in the week. I don't care. I want to ask you, and we talked about this a little bit. I, I got the guy in the game there on Saturday. I just want to know what Ben Joyce's role is on this team. Maybe, maybe they don't know what it is yet. He doesn't come in in high leverage situations. To be fair, Tennessee's not had many high leverage situations this year. So I'll put, I'll put that out there. Um, he's not a closer right now. He's come in and blow out games. Um, he, I think he leads the team in appearances. I can double check on that, but you know, he, he doesn't work anything more than an inning. Most of the time, I think he has one appearance this year where he went past an inning pitch. I want to know what Ben Joyce's role is. And of course it, it'll, it'll continue to evolve as the season goes on, but you know, we know he throws gas. We know that, but you know, what, what's his role in this bullpen? It's, it's something that I'm very curious to see how it, plays out i i think he's going to have a prominent role and a moment ago when i was going on my tangent about all the the pitchers tennessee has coming out of the bullpen uh it, it was an accidental slippage of of the mind when i did not name ben joyce it's just but that tennessee has, my point right i mean he's not even been like a guy like like we know a sewell we know his role walsh we know him mclaughlin stepping up right mabry stepping up and that's no that's not a discredit to ben joyce but you just kind of it, – it's the guy that throws 104 miles per hour, it slipped your mind, right? I mean, that's – Right. It, but it's, to me – It's very interesting. To me, he slipped my mind, not because he doesn't have a role, but because Tennessee's pitching staff is that deep. That That's yeah. why he slipped my mind is that I, I've been saying it since the start of the year. Every time I, I try to say out loud all the pitchers that, <laughs> that Tennessee can rely on out of the bullpen, I always forget about one. I almost forgot about Will Mabry. And I mentioned Will Mabry after Mark McLaughlin, and, and Mabry is probably number two, number three in the pen. Uh, he, he's probably 
2A, 2B with Camden Sewell behind Redmond Walsh. But I think Ben Joyce is going to have a a serious role on this team more than it has been. I, I think the reason it's been a weird role, I guess you could say, uh, because, he, yeah, he leads the team in appearances. Uh, at least we think that he does. We don't know that to be sure, but we assume that he does. But it, it's not like he's just coming in and pitching an inning or two at a time. Like, like you said, it's been – to a batter, to two batters, throwing a couple pitches here and there. But that's been because he's coming off of Tommy John. And Tony said last week that he feels comfortable throwing him an inning, two innings, three innings, four innings. Like, they, they've reached that point. It's just I, I don't think that you you needed to, to do that with him this weekend, and you haven't had to yet. I, I think by the time the season is all said and done with, and we've still got two months to go before SEC tournament. There's still a lot of baseball to be played. Seven SEC series, I believe. He's going to be one of the top arms out of the bullpen. He he just is. And he will pitch more than he has. Ben Joyce, 11 appearances on the season. Redmond Walsh has 10. McLaughlin has 10. Mabry has 10. Sewell has 10. Joyce has 11. Now, again, to further our point, you have 11 appearances for Ben Joyce, and that's seven innings and two-thirds. While Redmond Walsh, 10 appearances, that's 12 innings. 10 appearances for McLaughlin, that's 10, point, uh, 10 and two-thirds. Uh, 10 for Mabry, that's 15 and two-thirds. So, again, uh, is leading the team in appearances by uh, by one appearance, but it's to go get an out, to go get two outs, to go get this batter. So, uh, yeah, it's just something. And, and again, I, I kind of took us off from game two, I guess. I mean, he pitched in game two, but that's just something I've been thinking about. And I'll go back to to, to what I said earlier. Again, to Tennessee's credit, there's not been many high leverage situations, uh, especially deep into ball games. And so, um, you know, when you need to go in and get out, a, you know, get, get out a guy that uh, is challenging in that order, you know, maybe you'll go and, and send him in there in the eighth or the ninth inning or whatever the case may be to throw some gas. Um, but uh, nonetheless, Tennessee's got just like the lineup. I mean, Tennessee's got some arms here that that are very dependent. And uh, yeah, just you know, game three, Redmond Wash that just just slamming the door shut. That kind of kind of says it all about what Tennessee is a well rounded top to bottom. For sure, uh, Ben Joyce is going to have a role on the team. It'll it'll just he already does have a role on the team. I just don't think you've really had to use him yet, yeah, just because you have so many arms and he's and he's working back from. From Tommy John, you mentioned game three and Redmond Walsh uh, was the story after Drew Beam. I, I mentioned that Drew Gilbert sparked Tennessee offensively. Uh, Tennessee only had four runs on the day despite 10 hits, uh, but it was still enough to get the job done. Thanks to Drew Gilbert, who was three for five, two RBIs. Um, or I guess he was three for five on Saturday and then one for three on Sunday with two RBIs and a run scored. And his lone hit was the big two-run triple that I mentioned in the fourth inning that sparked a three-run inning for the Vols. He was then able to score on a Lipscomb ground ball. So Gilbert Sparks, uh, the offense, Drew Beam dominated on the mound. He was incredible following up Burns and Dolander uh, for the third game in a row. And uh, he gave up one run over 7.1 innings, improved to 5-0. and uh, 90 pitches, 61 of which were strikes, didn't allow a walk, only gave up three hits and struck out six. Uh, but it got a little hairy there in the eighth and ninth inning. And I, I forgot <laughs> I forgot what it was like to, to watch and cover a close baseball game. <laughs> I, I really did. And it got a, a little hairy there in, in the eighth inning because 
Tony Vitello elects to bring Drew Beam back out for the eighth inning. Uh, and Drew Beam gives up a one-out single. He, he gets TJ McCants out uh, on a ground ball back to him. But then Kemp Alderman singles through the left side. And people, I don't understand why people are questioning why Tony pulled Drew Beam. That, that wasn't the issue. Beam needed to be pulled. His, his velo was way down. At the beginning of the game, he was touching 95, 96. There at that last inning, he was around 91. Like his velo yeah. had dropped off significantly, and he had lost command of the strike zone. Uh, and, and Ole Miss was starting to, to barrel up some baseballs. Like Drew Beam needed to be pulled in that instance. It's just unfortunate that it worked out that Camden Sewell came in and allowed a single. So you had two runners on, and then Hayden Dunhurst hit a three-run homer. So – it wasn't incorrect to pull beam. It's just that Camden didn't have – he wasn't on. I'm, I don't really know why he wasn't on. Uh, didn't look like he had commanded the fastball. And when he doesn't have command of the fastball, it's hard to get pitchers or hitters uh, to swing at his slider. But it, it just is what it is. It's, it's part of baseball. I'm not concerned about Camden. He, he's going to be fine. I would be surprised if he wasn't. But after that, that Dunhurst homer <laughs> – it was a one-run game, and it felt like Tennessee was up 20 to nothing, and then all of a sudden it's 4-3. to three. And Redmond Walsh has to come in with, with two outs and on a full count because Camden was just not commanding the zone. You, you rarely see a pitcher come in to a full count, but Redmond did, and he strikes out the guy. But his, his slider was so filthy that it got away on a wild pitch from Russell – Gonzalez reached first, and then Redmond gives up a single, and then you're thinking, oh, no, Ole Miss is really about to win this baseball game. And this is just in the eighth inning. And Tim wow. Elko is at the plate, their captain, their power hitter, uh, an absolute stud, and Redmond strikes him out on three pitches, just three pitches. That was it was huge. incredible, absolutely huge. And then he comes back in the ninth inning and has to work out of another jam. Ole Miss leads off the inning with a single. Redmond comes back with strikeout, strikeout. So you had two outs, runner on first. You get a ground ball to second. You're thinking the game's over. And then Ortega boots it. The ball goes right between his legs. And now you're back in the same situation that you were in the inning before, runner on first and second. And, oh, by the way, this time the runner on second is the tying run. The runner on first is the, the game-winning run. And for a second straight inning in that high-leverage situation, Redmond comes back and strikes out Hayden Dunhurst on three pitches again to end the game. Just absolute stones from Redmond Walsh. Yeah, that was huge. Uh, that's what we're talking about, a high leverage situation, right? And let me just sidebar. This is a this is a baseball argument and a scoring argument. Uh, I hate, I hate, I hate pitching changes during the middle of ABs. Can't stand it. I mean, it's so difficult for the, for the pitcher coming in out of the pen, but I mean – it's give Walsh's credit, you know, comes in and immediately strikes him out. So I hate that so much. That's such a tough position to be in, especially full count too. Um, but pitching well, out of those the, jams. The problem, the, I, I don't blame Tony. I feel you. But in that particular instance, I don't blame Tony because on that previous pitch, that last yeah. pitch that Camden threw, it was the one where it was almost a homer that tied the game. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if you remember, Jacob Gonzalez hit that, line drive down the right field line and it and it hit the very top of the wall just right at the foul pole tony was like no i'm done with this yeah. i'm not risking this come on redmond 
Yeah, I mean, sometimes sometimes you got to make a move. I mean, I get that. I just like like from a um, I, I, that's just a big a bigger baseball argument. I just I can't stand it. Like from a from a scoring perspective too, because again, correct me if I'm wrong. That 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 that's Walsh's that's Walsh's batter, right? Doesn't matter if it's three two. You come in, you give you throw one ball to walk to Walsh, right? That's how you score I, it. I, I think it goes. I think it goes to Camden. Hmm. I don't know. I'll, I'll double check on that. Uh, I'm because I mean that that's one of those scoring things I'm a little confused with. It would make sense to go to Camden. Don't get me wrong. It would. Um, I'm ninety percent sure that it does. Okay, maybe I'm wrong, but nonetheless, comes in and just just dominates it too. And then you go to the ninth inning, single back to back strikeouts. You brought up the Ortega boot, and here's my question too: um, Is Ortega a liability there on the right side of the infield? Team leading five airs. It's not an awful lot, but it's more than you want. Just you know, this at this point of the season, been a couple of times where he's over. You know, the, like we, th- we talk about the play in Houston where it, it gets off the side of his glove. I I thought he over pursued it a little bit. You know, he, he booted that ball there and put pressure on Walsh again in the ninth inning. Credit Walsh for slamming the door shut for sure. But gosh, your your defense behind you and and Jarrell Ortega didn't make it much easier. I'm not willing to say that he's a liability yet but he's trending in that direction. I I just I don't I don't I just don't think that Tennessee has a great fielding option at second base. Um I I don't think I, I mean I guess it would be Seth Stevenson would, would be your most natural middle infielder. I mean he he signed as a shortstop uh and, and played shortstop at, at JUCO. I I would imagine that he could play second pretty well. Uh Christian Moore I just don't think that they trust his defense at the moment, even with Jarrell struggling, Seth or uh, Logan Steenstra. I don't know that they trust his defense at the moment either. So I think Jarrell is just kind of the the best option, kind of kind of like Evan behind the plate defensively. And but here's the other thing: it, it almost seems like Jarrell is better defensively than he has shown, just by the way his teammates and coaches talk about him, because. Yeah. I didn't even ask about Jarrell specifically after the game. I just asked Tony about the defense because Tennessee committed six errors over the weekend, uh, and some of them were very uncharacteristic, which is why I'm not worried about the defense really moving forward. You get three on Friday night alone, right? Right, right. And some of them were Cortland Lawson dropping the ball at second, and then he booted a ball, and he's been sure-handed this year. And and to me, Tony and Tennessee gets the benefit of the, of the doubt because under Tony, they've had good defenses. Like, defense has not been an issue. But when I asked Tony about the defense and the six errors and, and if he's concerned about it moving forward, he, he said obviously he's concerned to some extent because of the, the amount of errors that they had over the weekend. But then he, again, I didn't ask about Jarrell, but he, he kind of went out of his way to talk about Jarrell and said that that's a play that he makes 99% of the time. And he, he kind of thought that he, he uh, confused himself by not knowing whether to go to second with the ground ball or just go ahead and get the out at first. So um, I, I think it, to me, it sounds like they have a lot of confidence in Jarrell. Maybe that's just coach speak to the media but I, I don't see a change anytime soon. So I don't think he's a liability just yet. And again, nitpicking here, right? I mean, we're talking about the de- the defense of Ortega. We're talking about, you know, be- aggressive base running sometimes. I mean, it's it's pretty difficult to nitpick this baseball team right now, right? Um, because you're playing so well. So uh, the overall bigger story there is, yeah, sure, he booted the ground ball. It is what it is. Redmond Walsh came in and, as you would say, stoked. 
Jones, and, and that's exactly what you want to see. And it's good to see this too, you know, Tennessee winning close games because so many of Tennessee's games, they've won comfortably. They haven't all been blowouts, but there's been several blowouts in there for sure. Winning close games, high leverage situations by a run or two, that was good to see. Uh, just a really, really good way to end, um, which was just an outstanding weekend for uh, Tennessee baseball, for sure. Um, I know you and I both really haven't dove into to Vanderbilt just yet, but I, I, I just – I think if you go in there – I said, I guess on last week's pod, if Tennessee goes three and three of these next two series, that's that's really, really good, right? They've already got three. Already got three. I'm not expecting Tennessee to get swept, so um, I'm knock on wood here. I got a, I got a, a wood desk. Uh, I just – I mean, if, if t- Tennessee's got a chance to make even – you just made a huge statement, a huge statement. But you go, you think about this too. You go on the road to Oxford. You go on the road to Vanderbilt. You come away four, you know, four games to two, five games to one, taking both series via the sweep. I mean, you talk about a statement for Tennessee. Um, just another great opportunity coming up for Tennessee uh, against Vanderbilt. Well, and to, to break it down individually, as big of a statement as Ole Miss was, Vanderbilt would be a bigger statement. Uh, a, I think Vanderbilt's a better team. Mm-hmm. B, Tony Vitello tried to say last week to the media that Tennessee doesn't have a rival that in SEC baseball because everybody's so good, everybody kind of has coach talk. Yeah, and and he he put a nice little spin on it, and I get what he was saying that like each matchup has its own unique storylines. Like, obviously, there's a storyline, a, a unique storyline with LSU last year because of some of the comments that uh, Paul Maneri said to the media after t- LSU came to Knoxville, and then they had to come back. So tennis, LSU was a rival in that regard for the season. And then the, all the stuff with Dave Van Horn and, and seeing them back in, in the SEC tournament, you know, like little quirky things pop up throughout the year. That That's what Tony was getting at. But Tennessee baseball does – have a rival and and it's Vanderbilt. It is the Vanderbilt Commodores. Uh, their thirteen fans do not like Tennessee uh, caring about baseball. Tennessee fans cannot stand the 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 twelve or thirteen little Vanderbilt fans. Those two programs do not like each other, and they can make a bigger statement this weekend that they are now a power, a national power in the college baseball landscape. And it's not just the team two hours and 20 minutes west. Did my whistle come across the microphone? Okay. No. Oh, well, then that's that's a bummer. I whistled twice. Uh, not excited about, you know, hearing that all weekend long. Uh, this is also, this is the Evan Russell game last year. Uh, the the three the three home run game and game two on that Saturday. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to that. I, I agree. I, I think Vanderbilt is a really, really good team. I'm, I'm intrigued to dive into that series. Again, I haven't looked into it. I don't know how much you've looked into it. I've heard Vanderbilt was shorthanded on the road at South Carolina this past weekend. I I, I don't know. I'm going to have to look into it. But South Carolina took two or three from Vandy. What happened there, right? And is, is South Carolina a little bit better? Does that series sweep to begin SEC play look a little better for Tennessee? I don't know yet. But uh, I'm intrigued to kind of dive into the stat sheet there on that last series. Well, Vandy has some very talented pitchers, but they are very young. And yeah. their inexperience and youthfulness showed up this weekend in Columbia. So we'll we'll dive into that 
on Thursday. I, I want to touch on two more things before we get out of here. A, I want to touch on Blade Tidwell. Blade, Blade Tidwell, a.k.a. Titty, must be talked about on this podcast because uh, Titty's going to be back this week. Uh, Tidwell was available to pitch on Saturday and Sunday against Ole Miss. Tony Vitello told me after Saturday's game, but the situation never presented itself, although Titty did run down to the bullpen uh, in the eighth inning and and start to get warm and was even throwing during the ninth inning when Redmond was trying to slam the door on Ole Miss. And, and Tony had some funny comments after the game to me saying that I told Blade to go warm up, and I think he was shocked. He ran about as quick as any of our track athletes to the bullpen, but he felt good down there. It's about time. I'm tired of getting text messages that are basically death threats from the kid. Uh, so Blake Tidwell, obviously excited to be back. And uh, I asked Tony what the week looked like for Blade and, and what his role is going to look like. And Tony said that it would be nice to get Tidwell some activity this week, but they don't want to define which day it'll be because they want it to fit within what they are looking for within the schedule. Uh, and he added that Tidwell and fellow injured righty Seth Halverson will prepare to come out of the bullpen upon their return uh, until they build up their pitch count. And then we'll see what is the best thing for us to do. So uh, I don't know for sure, but I, I would expect blade to get an inning tomorrow night against Western Carolina. I, I, I would be kind of surprised if he didn't get an inning against Western Carolina and then make an appearance this weekend for Vandy. And I mean, we, we don't really need to dive into it because we know, but man, adding Blade Tidwell to this this pitching staff with, with Tennessee already being the number one team in the country, pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, for sure. And I'm interested to see how Tony kind of plays this. Again, you just heard the comments that you said, kind of work him in there in the bullpen role and continue to stretch him out. Um, obviously, Tony's never going to put wins and loss and uh, wins and losses in jeopardy. And I'm not saying Major League Baseball does this, but you have guys in the pen. And it's not like minor league baseball when you can go to the park and you say, okay, these guys will pitch today no matter what, because in minor league, it's all about progression. You got to have these guys pitch. You got to have these guys hit an inning limit. It's not like that in the majors, but a lot of times you, you like, you'll see the closer come in and throw the ninth when, when the team's up by seven runs, because he's got to get some work. Tidwell's got to get stretched out. Um, he's going to get routine work out of that bullpen, you know, from here on out. I'm just intrigued to see how they're going to use him, right? Because he's got to continue to get his pitch count up, continue to get his inning count up. And, you know, again, that's why I'm interested to see how Tony's going to use him because you're not going to disrupt the flow of things, but it's going to add a new wrinkle, you know, from here on out, a little bit of the beginning, and then it'll get bigger and bigger and bigger moving forward because Tidwell is going to have to get, again, you know, he's going to have to feel throwing 20 pitches in one inning. He's going to have to feel going, doing that, then coming back out for another inning. So um, it'll be interesting, but, but certainly – you know, it, it's a great, great problem to have because first round talent, um, arguably going to be the best arm when he comes back for Tennessee and uh, just adding to the mix. What, what's what's happening already right here with Drew Beam and, and Dolander and Burns. It's it's going to be a whole lot of fun. He's he's going to be treated very similar to how. Ben Joyce is being treated, I think, uh, with. A lot of appearances, but not a lot of pitches thrown. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if if we see if we see that just because you can build them up quicker in a way before the SEC tournament gets here. 
Um, maybe he's not treated in, in that manner, but I think they're really going to try to get him as much work as possible. Uh, maybe not this exact weekend because it's his first weekend back, but something similar to an inning in the midweek, an inning on Friday, an inning on Sunday, and then slowly go from there. And I, I want you to be bold with this question. Um, I, I want you to give me what you think the plan should be for Blade. Like, how should Blade be incorporated? Do you think Blade should stick to the pin throughout the year, or do you think the ultimate goal should be for Blade to get back in the rotation? Because I believe that the goal should be to get Blade back in the rotation. I'm not touching Chase Burns. I'm not touching Chase Dolander because I think Dolander's stuff this year has more potential than Beam stuff. And I would hate to pull Drew Beam from the rotation. I really would. But I think it's really advantageous to get Tidwell back in the starting rotation, if possible, and then add Beam as another Camden Sewell, another Redman Walsh, another version of last year's Sean Hunley. And I've said twice on, on this podcast today that, like, I have faith that Camden's going to be okay. But with Camden being a little bit of a question mark at the moment, it, it would be nice if, if that continues to be a question mark, if you can slide Beam into that role and let, and let him ride as one of the top arms in the bullpen. So that, that, to me, is what the goal should be, to get Titty back into the rotation and then just add another really great arm to, to the bullpen in, in Beam. Yeah, and we, we can see how that works. Um, certainly, if, if they kind of go with the route that you mentioned in terms of inning here, inning Friday, inning su- uh, Sunday, and build them back up that way. Um, I, I just, again, this is not going to be night and day. It's going to be a progression. I was uh, talking with one of my buddies, Matthew Osborne, listens to the show, uh, big on the general quarters there as well. So shout out, shout out to Oz. I mentioned this, and I think this would be like a good route to go. This is not the end game, but as you continue to get him stretched out and you get him more work, I would piggyback him with Dolander on Saturdays uh, for the short term. Um, not this weekend, of course, but maybe you know, maybe two weekends from now, or maybe you know, wh- whenever the time is right, I would piggyback him with Dolander on Saturdays for a little while, because again, Dolander, he's not going to go, he's not going to go far into games. Typically, his pitch count gets up there. He's going to give you five, six innings somewhere around there. You throw Tibble on the back end of that, and that's that. That's a pretty good combo for Saturday. Once he gets to where he needs to be starting games again, then I would I would do what you what you said. I would leave Dolan where he is. I'm not touching Chase Burns. I would put Titty back on Sunday. That's where he's used to it, and I would put a Beam in the pen. And gosh, you talk about a weapon there. But I, I'm intrigued, and I don't I don't I don't think Tony would do this. But I was just kind of I like to play manager. A lot. I think the piggyback option on Saturdays with Dolander makes a whole lot of sense, but that's just another route to go. We'll see. But to answer your question in long form, at the end of the day, beam to the pin, Titty on Sunday, and kind of kind of have him as a dynamic weapon there in the bullpen. And, and plus for for Tidwell, he's used to Sundays. He he's used to that role. And I would not touch Burns or Dolander either on Friday or Saturday. Last thing before we get out of here, just want to touch on Tennessee being ranked number one. Uh, th- this team has far bigger aspirations than than being ranked number one. But it, it's still really cool to see this Tennessee baseball program ranked as the top team in the country after the, the bad baseball that it experienced in between Rod Delmonico 
and Tony getting here. I mean, it, it's it's been irrelevant and an afterthought, both in Knoxville and a, around the SEC. So it's it's really cool to see Tennessee ranked number one in every single poll, unanimous uh, amongst the entire country that Tennessee is the best team in the country. And I I think it's legit, Kane. I I by far think Tennessee is the the best team in the country. I I don't think there's anybody playing better than Tennessee right now. I I think that I don't think that they're peaking early. I I think they can still improve on on the base paths. As we've talked about, they can improve defensively. Uh, I I think Evan Russell will only continue to get better behind the plate. Uh, Chase Dolander, he's going to continue to be more consistent beam and burns as crazy as it is to say they're only going to get better as they get more starts and appearances under their belt. Uh, I think Camden Sewell is going to be okay. Uh, that that bullpen is going to get stronger and, and deeper with Ben Joyce being able to carve out more of a role and then adding Seth Halverson, a, a power arm that touches triple digits. Uh, and, and then obviously you're adding Blade back into the mix. Like everybody's saying, well, I hope Tennessee's not peaking too early. I think there's plenty of evidence that I just laid out that Tennessee is not peaking early. And who knows? Maybe we look back in hindsight, and, and we do say that Tennessee peaked early. I, I recognize that that could happen. But if I had to, to make a prediction, I think there's far too many things that I just laid out that point to them getting even better. And I know it's crazy to say, uh, as we flip the calendar to April, we, we've still got a long way to go. Anything can happen. But I'm not shying away from it. On March 29th, Tennessee's the front runner to win the national championship. In terms of the peaking too early, uh, I hear you with all those things, line up, Tidwell coming back, more defined roles in the bullpen. I agree with all that. The only caveat I would throw in there in terms of the peaking too early situation or phrase or mantra right now, what about Burns and Beam, man? I mean, again, you mentioned it earlier. When's the other shoe going to fall for Beam, right? You just kind of keep waiting on it. I mean, Burns is pitching so well, and I have confidence in him. And, and, and I have confidence in Beam, don't get me wrong, but I mean, you know, I think we can all agree that, you know, Burns is on a different level, right? I mean, he, you know, he, he, he should be, he should be in the show, not, not the show, but he should be on that path and, and starting his professional journey right now. Um, but those two guys are pitching so well right now. Um, potentially, I don't think that they're peaking, but are they going to run out of juice? Uh, somewhere down the line. I, I'm not going to say they will, but that would be my one concern, especially, you know, for being, but again, having Tibble come back that that can maybe help with that. If that, if that were to happen. So we'll see, but no, I'm, I'm with you. I, it's, it's the, the number one ranking 100% warranted. Um, you're, you'll be hard pressed to find a team in the country. That's playing, playing like Tennessee is right now. That's that's pitching as well as Tennessee is right now. That has the bullpen like Tennessee has the lineup like Tennessee you can't argue right now. I said on uh, I said on the starting line on Monday morning that any any uh, you know credential voter for D one baseball or uh, you know Baseball America or the USA Today coaches poll whoever that didn't vote Tennessee number one in all these polls should not have a vote the next week because it's clearly Tennessee deserves to be the number one team in the country. I'm expecting Tennessee to go back to Omaha and I'm I'm expecting Tennessee to win some games at Omaha this year, unlike last year. So. Been fun so far. A long way to go. A lot can change. But again, the reason why I'm so confident you are as well in Tennessee is you have flexibility, you have depth, and you have a lot of it if you're Tony Vitello. And that's what good baseball teams are, are uh, kind of built from. And here's another thing I can throw in there to, to speak about Tennessee getting better. 
uh, 22 runs on 26 hits on Friday and Saturday for Tennessee. Uh, Jared, Jordan Beck, not Jared, Jordan Beck was one for eight with no runs driven in. Jordan Beck, the, the guy who's going to be a first-round pick in June, didn't even contribute to Tennessee scoring 22 runs on 26 hits. Yeah, I mean, I made that – I'm not that – that exact point earlier, but I made that point kind of earlier. Like it's, it's incredible to me that some of your best bats sometimes are the quietest bats here in some of these, uh, these outbursts. So um, yeah, Tennessee's on its way. I got one more thing real quick. I know, I know we're running long. I'm sorry, but uh, Tony Vitello, this is we're recording this podcast on, on Tuesday. Uh, Tony V sounded a, a bit more optimistic about Jared Dickey on Monday uh, when he had his appearance on sports talk and, and meeting with the media, but Obviously, Jared Dickey something that should be monitored the the rest of the way through this week and, and maybe a couple of weeks down the down the line. For sure, I I, I think uh, the the Dickey situation ended up much better than they thought that it that it was going to initially. There were some some frowns and long faces in, in the dugout and clubhouse after the game on on Sunday after uh, Jared Dickey was hurt. Uh, at some point, rounding the bases, I'm not really quite sure how it happened, uh, but dealing with a patellar uh, injury, and uh, sounds like he's going to have to miss some time, but doesn't sound like it's going to cost him his season at this point, which is great news. The other Jordan Beck point I was going to make in regards to this offense doing what it's doing uh, without you know, grand production from Jordan Beck, and, and look, Beck's having a nice year, 340 on the season, uh, five homers, but Tennessee has – hit a billion homers on the season and Jordan Beck has five and Drew Gilbert has one. When we came into the season, we thought of those two guys as being the power guys and Drew Gilbert missed a week or so, uh, but he has one homer on the season. Jordan Beck has five homers. So uh, this offense is, is far from reaching its potential, which is why I, I believe that this team is not peaking and Chase Burns, he's not going to drop off. Fair question, but he's not going to drop off. Drew Beam, I, I it wouldn't surprise me to see him drop off a little, but each start, I, I gain more and more confidence that he's not going to. So we'll see how his arm looks. The, the thing with, with Beam is that he hasn't pitched in the last two years. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Arm fatigue, right? I mean, right. I would be surprised would, if it yeah. didn't happen mm-hmm. just because he, he's barely pitched lately. One last note from me here. This is from your boy, and I, I if I mispronounce your name, I'm so sorry, Blake Von Hagen. Yeah, there you go. Blake, I've, I've talked to Blake a couple of times. That's an awesome job, uh, you know, covering the print stories. Uh, Tennessee baseball, a plus 650 favorites to win the College World Series at DraftKings. So furthering your point about your bold prediction, well, uh, there's, there's some people backing up that opinion as well as the volunteers look to be the favorite right now to win the World Series. As they should be, and I agree with what you said. They should win some games in Omaha this year. It would be disappointing at this point if yep. they don't. But uh, podcast went a little longer than we expected. But a lot a of good to stuff talk to talk about, about though. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, literally the first time Tennessee's been ranked number one in baseball ever. So I, I feel like it's a- appropriate to, to do a deep dive uh, on the weekend. But we'll be back on Thursday uh, to preview Tennessee Vanderbilt that one will be just as fun if not more fun Tennessee does have a midweek game against Western Carolina at 5 30 p.m eastern on Wednesday we'll discuss that mention it on the Thursday preview pod for Vandy so appreciate your ears for Eric Kane I'm Ben McKee 
We hope you all have a great Tuesday and Wednesday, and we'll talk to you on Thursday.